Well, we are in a series called Engaging Deep Water. That's right, Elder. Engaging Deep Water. And uh, this morning, I want to focus in on what I call Engaging Deep Passion. Engaging Deep Passion. This is why we're going to have that Sunday to invite someone else. It's, for us, it's time for us to engage deep water. It's time for us to step out past the water that's around our ankles, past the water that's around our knees and our waist. It's time for us to jump in until the water is above our heads and we are surrounded by God's presence. Amen. It's time for us to do that. And I want to talk this morning just a little bit about passion and what part passion plays in engaging deep water. Now, passion is the creative force behind all art, behind all architecture, behind all great drama, great music, anything we do that's great, passion is right there behind that thing. Passion is that force, it is the wind, the wave that pushes us forward. When we see obstacles in front of us, it is passion that allows us to clear those obstacles. When we hear people telling us that we cannot do it, It is passion that allows us to block out that noise and move forward. When we look back in our past and see how we failed before, it is passion that allows us to leave that in the past, forget those things that are behind us, look forward to the things that are ahead of us, and press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling. It is the passion that is the wind beneath our wings. You see, a Christian life without deep passion is like a river without water. You see, a river, no water, you say, well, that's just a bunch of dirt, a culvert. And that's what the Christian life is like when there's no passion in it. So whatever we do, we must do with great and deep passion. Why go through life sitting on the sideline? watching everybody else do it. You know, I used to be like that. I used to be a person that, whether it was on my job, whether it was when I was playing Little League football. In fact, I I remember starting out playing Little League football, and I was the smallest guy uh, on my team just because, uh, you know, all the other guys were bigger than me. Brother David, you know what I'm talking about, you know. Look, short people got nobody used to be an old song, right? We do have somebody. We know that. But uh, I was the the smallest little guy on my team, and all I thought was, well, I just want to participate. I just want to be a part, maybe go run around a little bit to say that I'm doing something right but what happened was I would always watch all the other boys you know score a touchdown or get a great block and they would have fun and they would rejoice and when somebody else scored a touchdown you know I would run over and kind of try to rejoice with them and give them a high five but I really wasn't part of the whole thing because I was so small I just stayed on the sideline until one day something clicked in me and said look if you're going to do this thing throw yourself into it One of my coaches told me one time, he said, listen, Michael, I want to tell you something. He said, I know football is a uh, contact sport. Really, it's a collision sport is what I've heard. But, you know, it's a contact sport. And so I know you're small. But listen, you have all of this equipment. You have your helmet of salvation. 
Come on, you have, uh, you know, your shoulder pads, you have your thigh pad, you have all this equipment. And so when you go out there and you're running towards another boy to tackle him, give it all you got because he's got all, that, all, all of that equipment as well. And in fact, if you don't give everything, you're more likely to get hurt by not giving your all than you are if you threw yourself into it. That's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? It would seem like if you throw yourself into it, uh, that would be a, a greater chance of you getting hurt. But he said, no, actually, if you're being timid and the other guy's coming full force, guess what? You're going to be the one that gets hurt. And so something clicked. And I said, you know what? Uh, I'm going to throw if I'm going to play this thing, either I'm going to play it or I'm just going to quit. And I said, and I love it. I love football so much. And so I said, I'm going to play it. And so uh, the coach made me a running back. And that year. I, I, I just said it in myself, look, I, everybody else is bigger than me, but nobody's as fast as I am. They're not going to be able to catch me, right? And I'm going to surprise them. And I did. I scored the most touchdowns uh, out of the little league, the whole league, out of the 18 teams that were there. Uh, even when I was on defense, there were big guys that would get the ball and I would run up and, and smack them and tackle them. And everybody else would be surprised. Wow, look at that little guy, you know. And But it wasn't because I was more talented or I'd gotten any bigger. You know, I didn't know about protein shakes, you know, so I wasn't doing that at the time. But where it came from was somewhere in me, there was some passion because I loved the game so much. I just threw myself into it. You know, I, I think about, I work a secular job uh, as well as uh, pastor of the church here. And so in my secular job, uh, one of the things that the Lord really shared with me is he said, listen, you're going to work this thing, you might as well throw yourself into it. So what I do is, uh, I'm an engineer and I draw prints. You know, just being transparent this morning. I draw blueprints, all right? And uh, what I do is, there's a lot of people there at this job that just, we call them hand-drawn prints because you draw by hand. And then we give them to a drafter. And then that drafter takes those prints and puts it into a computer and makes, you know, beautiful blueprints, the one that the construction people see, okay? So those construction folks will never see my hand-drawn prints. But when I sit down and I have my light right there, I got my number two pencils, all my red pencils, I got all my protractors and trapezoids and all these different things that engineers use, and I have my prints all laid out. Man, I do that thing so beautifully, and uh, I, I make it so neat that if they had to give it to a construction person, they wouldn't know the difference if this was a computer or if somebody hand-drawn it. And the reason I do that, people might say, well, why do you go through all that stuff? It doesn't matter to anybody. My boss doesn't care because they don't see it. All I need to do is draw it good enough that a drafter can understand what I'm trying to say. And then they actually make it pretty. But I draw it like that because I care. I want it to be the best there. I want it to be a great print. So when it's turned in, I'm proud of it. I can look at that thing and say, man, look at that. Yes, I'm satisfied. I'm not looking for accolades. Nobody's going to give them to me. I can tell you that right now. I'm not looking for that. No drafter's going to say, oh, you draw such pretty prints. They're not going to say that because they have their job to do. And nobody, so I'm not looking for any accolades from anybody. My boss, will, he never even, he doesn't look at my prints, okay? The only thing he uh, does is if something goes wrong, then he'll come to me. So how come you haven't been doing your prints, okay? And so, but to me, to me, I'm passionate about it because to me, there's a satisfaction in accomplishing something and looking back at it and say, wow, look at that thing. 
That's the way I believe God wants us to live our life in everything that we do. Now listen, what we need to understand, if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 5. What we need to understand is that it is God who defines us, not who we are or what we do. Understand this. Now please hear what I'm, I'm about to say. Please, I hope this gets to your heart and you understand where I'm coming from when I say this. I talked about working this secular job. If, and, and I like the job. You know, I, listen, there's people here that don't necessarily like their job, possibly. All right? You, really, I mean, there's people here who go into work every day and it's not their favorite job. They would just as soon be doing something else. I understand that. Uh, and, and all of us probably would be. But listen, here's what I want to tell you. Here's what God wants you to know. That is where you are right now. And as long as you are in that place, you give it everything that you have because you're not going to go forward. Listen, if you're going to give it, uh, if you're going to be, you know, kind of half-stepping in this job because you don't like it and your mind is, well, when I get the job that I want, then I'll give it my all. Guess what? You're never going to give it your all. If you're half-stepping in the job that you're in now, when you get the job you want, you're still going to be half-stepping. Because that becomes who you are, and it's what you do. See, if you give it your all in where you are now, when God blesses you and puts you where he wants you to be and where you want to be, you're still going to give it your all. So give it your all. But this job that I have, I, I love it. I, you know, I love the job that I have. I love going in every day, uh, you know, and, and drawing those prints, as I told you, and doing the thing. And trust me, the, the business that I work at has plenty of problems. It's a large business, and they have some issues. Trust me, like all corporations do. All of us could go and say, look, I think we should do it differently, okay? And so, but I love it. I really love it. Now, if they came to me tomorrow on Monday and said, look, we thank you for your time here. Uh, we're downsizing and uh, you're going to have to move on. I would go, well, that's too bad because I really like my job. But guess what? I'm moving on. That because, why? Because the job doesn't define me. That's not who I was. It's, I, I loved it. I threw myself into it. But it's something that I did. Now, let me tell you something else. And now you have to pay attention to this and listen. And, and hear where I'm coming from when I say this. God also has me in this position as the pastor of life of the life church if the elders came to me tomorrow here i'm going with this and said or the congregation and said mike you did a good job most of the time half the time some of your sermons were okay uh, but we're going to move in a different direction and uh, we want you to just you know sit down and clean the bathrooms and we're going to put somebody else in that position would I be a little disappointed? Probably, yeah. But this does not define me either. And I hope you hear what I'm saying. It's a place God has me. And if God moved me somewhere else, the place he has me now does not define me. Nor should it you. It doesn't define you. You know what defines you? Is God laying his hands on you, telling you who you are, and telling you he loves you. That's what defines you. God is the only one that defines you. He breathes the breath of life in you. He can put you in one position today and in another position tomorrow. Don't let this world define you. No matter what your job is, no matter what you do. Don't let it define you. Let the word of God define who you are. 
Now, having said that, where God has you, throw yourself into it. Throw yourself into it. Here is what God is calling us to. Look at, look at the book of Luke, chapter 5. Look at verses 1 through 4. We read this last week, but here's what God is saying. This is what Jesus said to Peter. He said, So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Genesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land. Sat down, taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, and he is saying to you this morning, Life Church, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. He is saying to us, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. What is he doing with us? He has given us that Ezekiel 47 progression, right? We're ankle deep. He's taking us from ankle deep to knee deep. We get knee deep. He's taking us from knee deep to waist deep. Once we get comfortable with waist deep, he's going to throw us in the deep water. He's going to throw us in. Are we ready for it? Are you ready to go into the deep water? Because if you don't have passion, you're not going to do it. If you're going to be fearful. Listen to some passion scriptures. Here's where I'm coming from. Colossians 3.23 says this. Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not to men. Do it wholeheartedly. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master who is the Lord. Work hard and cheerfully at everything that you do. Even if nobody sees what you are doing. Work hard and cheerfully at it and with passion. Throw yourself into it. Listen to what Paul told the Romans in chapter 12. He said, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. That means love one another with that brotherly affection. He says, do it in honor, giving preference to one another. With a diligent and fervent spirit, serve the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal. Never. But keep your spiritual fervor. Do not be slothful in your zeal. Be fervent. Serve the Lord is what he's telling us. Every moment of every day, be fervent in what you do. He told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He said, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Do you think if we all lined up outside and said, let's race, and somebody clicked the gun and said, go, and you were just kind of walking like this, that you would have any chance at all of running, winning that race? Anybody in here think they could win like that? No one? Especially not with Angie running. Angie's fast. Okay? It's not going to happen. The only way you're going to do it is you got to be faster than the person next to you. You have to run in order to win the prize. Now, that's a great analogy. That's good for a race. But we're talking about life. You need to put everything you have into it. Why leave it? Here's another sports analogy. You know, I love this time of year. And even if you don't like sports, you know, everyone doesn't like sports. And, you know, we use these sports analogies all the time. And I understand if you don't like sports, but I think you'll appreciate the analogy. Uh, I love this time of year. Uh, this time of year for college basketball, it's called March Madness. Okay. 
And that's when all the team, all the college basketball teams from the best team out there, which is probably Kentucky this year, you know, or uh, to, you know, the team that is not that good, which may be Rhode Island. All of them are trying to make it into this tournament just for one chance to get to the end, to get that prize. Now, here's what I want to Here's why I love March Madness so much. Is because these young men and women who uh, play girls basketball, it's the same thing. March Madness for women's basketball, March Madness for men's basketball. They are not playing. Most 90% of them are not playing for money. And what I mean by that is they won't go to the NBA. That's what I mean by that, Jay. <laughs> yes. <okay. laughs> so 90% of them, uh, 89% of them are not playing for money. It's not money that they're, they're after. They are playing to win the championship of college basketball. What does that get them? It, it doesn't, they already have a scholarship to college. It doesn't get them a scholarship. It doesn't get them a contract. It doesn't get them a bonus uh, on anything. All right, not for most of them. Very, out of all of the young men and young women that play, very, very few of them will go on to be professional basketball players. Okay, very few. Most of them will go on to be accountants, doctors, lawyers, actuaries, underwriters, uh, you know, whatever it may be. Okay, own a business owner, whatever. Massage therapist. They'll go on to do other things other than being a professional basketball player. Okay, so then why do they, why do they have so much passion? When I watch this thing on TV, man, you know, my wife used to uh, wonder why that they, you'd see some of the young men uh, on the bench at the end of the game when they realized that they the game was over you know there's 10 seconds left and they're down by 10 points and they're just not going to make it up you see those young men crying 18 19 20 21 22 years old tears streaming down their face boys who never cry you know these are macho young macho men they slam dunk the ball they bang into each other they talk trash on the court but now that it's over <laughs> tears tears that's passion. And you wonder, why are they crying? It's just a game. Because these boys have been through some things. They've been through all year of locking arms with their brothers, going out ups and downs. They failed and they've won. Their coaches yelled at them. Their coaches praised them. They've had to come to practice despite having been at school all day, having, uh, you know, gone through their classes. They got to maintain a certain grade point average. All of this sacrifice comes down to this moment. And now we have lost. And so tears roll down their face. Here's what I want to tell you. We should live our life and run our race in such a way that we have such passion that tears roll down our face. Tears, emotion. We can't be driven by emotion. God tells us who we are, but it should be so much in us. Listen, you may say, well, I'm just not putting my heart on my sleeve because I might get disappointed, right? Uh, you know, I might get hurt if I have my heart on my sleeve and I'm just not going through that. To me, here's my revelation. What is life for if we don't do that? What is it for? What is life for? Is it for just going? Why even be here if you're just going to make your way through life? I'm just going to make my way through. Never take any chances. Never do anything out of the ordinary. I don't want to upset anybody. I don't want anyone to upset me. I just want to glide along and drift along. If you're a person that does that, you will find that not only is your fate not in your hands, but you will drift somewhere and, and, the, and the current will take you somewhere else. 
you'll be taken somewhere you never wanted to go. Because you didn't have the courage to row. You didn't have the courage to start the engine. To go for it with everything that you have. You didn't have the courage to do that. Especially when God is saying, go for it. You know what? I would rather pray, read my Bible, pray, hear from the Lord, and do what I believe God has told me to do. And find out that that I missed God or I failed. And then say, okay, I come back to God and I'll, I'll do it again with a good heart. With, the, with good intentions, rather than sit and say, well, I just don't know. I don't, I'm not really sure if that's what God said. Well, I think he kind of said that. Yes, three people did prophesy over me, but I'm still just not sure. I really don't know. I need to read a couple more books. Let me read a couple more scriptures. Let me go to another revival. And then I just don't know. Next thing you know, you're 87 years old saying, uh, I just need one more revival. Come on. You're like Gideon. Well, Lord, it make the whole ground wet, but leave this part dry. Then I'll know it's you. God does that. Oh, okay, okay, that's okay. That's, okay, leave the whole ground dry, make this part wet, then I'll know it's you. God, in all of his patience, just does that, okay? What else do you want me to do? Because he's not wasting his time. God lives outside of time. The only person wasting their time is you and me. Make the ground wet. Don't make the ground wet. Make a, can you make a cloud point to the direction I'm supposed to be going? God said, I have written my law on your heart. I have filled you with my spirit. You can hear me. Just get in my word. Pray. I'll speak to you. I will speak to you. Have some confidence in what God is telling us to do. God said, you shall love the Lord your heart. That's what Jesus said. With all of your, love the Lord your God. With all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. That's passion. If that's not passion, I don't know what is. Listen to what Nelson Mandela had to say. He said, there is no passion to be found in playing small. In settling for a life that is less than the one you, you, you are capable of living. There's no passion in it. God said this in the book of Revelation. He said, I would that you be hot or cold because if you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, that's, a, that's something to say right there. I mean, that's, that's passion. God's telling me that. That's, he's saying that with I will spit you out of my mouth. Wow, really, Lord? Listen to what he told, uh, listen to the parable that Jesus uh, told his disciples. He said, you know, there was one that, uh, that the man went away and gave five talents, three talents, and one talent. The one with five doubled it. The one with three uh, came back with more as well. The one with one hid it. You know what he said to him? He said, you wicked and perverse servant. What? I was just trying to preserve what you had. I was just hiding it. You know, I didn't want to lose it. I didn't want to take a chance. You think if God wanted to double his money, he could double it? He could double it easy. In fact, I, I, I won't even say that he can double it because he has it all. It all belongs to him anyway. It's not about doubling the money. It's about you being obedient to what he told you to do. It's about you taking a chance. It's about you jumping off the deep end. Living life with passion. Let me give you three reasons why 
passion is the way we should live our life. You know, as Christians, we don't deny Christ. We just demote him. It's what we really do when we don't live with passion. We may want God, but we want something else all the more. And guess what? You get what you want most. And when you think you don't want anything, you just want a simple life, that's exactly what you get. You get apathy. Come on. You get laissez-faire. You get that from everybody else. You get that out of life. You're never going to get a great salary. It's just going to be okay. You're never going to get a great reward. It's just going to be okay. And I, I would venture to say, listen, because it's, it's in the book of Corinthians. You know, I would venture to say when you get before the Lord and get to heaven, you're just going to get an okay reward. That's for eternity. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to give everything I got. Because we're talking about eternity. I'm not talking about getting into heaven. I'm talking about living for eternity. Every work will be tried with fire. Those that remain, you will be given a reward for. Those that don't remain, listen to what he says, you will suffer loss. He's not talking about losing that reward. He's, he's talking about take. Listen, the, the one with the one talent that buried it, he took that from him. And gave it to somebody else who can do something with it. You want to be apathetic? Sit on the sideline? God's going to take what you got and give it to someone else. Let me give it to someone who can do something with it. You wicked, perverse servant. Is that what you want to hear from the Lord? It's not what I want to hear. Then get up and do something. Let's get in this word. Let's pray. God, what is it that I need to be doing? Whatever it is, doesn't have to be something great on TV or what, just whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it with everything that I have and everything that I am. Because guess what? That's what he did. When he went to the cross, he gave you everything that he is. Everything. He gave all of his blood, all of his sweat, all of his tears he gave to you. The least and reasonable service for us, the least that we can do, is give all that we are back to him. Come on. All these other things begin to fade away. All the things that are so important to us. Big house, big car, great career, whatever it is. Listen, when you do what I'm talking about doing, you risk embarrassment. I don't want other people to talk about me. I don't want to fail and they say, see, I knew you couldn't do it. I don't know why that person tried that anyway. It doesn't matter what people say. I'd rather do what God says do, fail to man's eyes and let them talk about me, but let God say, good job. That's what I wanted you to do. That's what I'd rather do. He's my father. Come on. Here's three reasons why you should be passionate. First of all, when I am passionate, it is rewarding. When you have a passion for God and the things of God, it is rewarding both figuratively and literally. Okay? Genesis 15.1, listen to what he told Abraham. He said, uh, after, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and God told him this. He said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. When you give all that you are to the Lord, he tells you, don't be afraid anymore. Don't worry about man's face. Don't worry about what people would say about you. Don't worry about failing man. Don't even worry about failing yourself. Why? Because 
I am your exceedingly great reward. I am it. In Proverbs 13, 13, let us raise our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. He who despises the word will be destroyed. But he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. What you're doing is not for nothing, folks. It may not be for man to give you accolades, but when God gives you accolades, come on. That's some accolades. I'd rather get my accolades from the Lord than from man. When you are not passionate about a thing, even if you're successful with it, it won't mean anything to you. It will leave an empty feeling. Listen to Ecclesiastes 1.8. Solomon, a wise man, said, All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. It's not satisfactory. The mundane cannot satisfy you. Even if it's successful, there will be no satisfaction in it. Can't do it. You get an empty feeling. And so it is rewarding. When I am passionate, it is contagious. Listen, you remember Nehemiah. He was the, when, when the children of Israel were captured... Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. Now, let me tell you about this job of the cupbearer. This doesn't mean that Nehemiah just carried his cup everywhere, you know, like an armor bearer does. What the cupbearer did was when they brought something to drink to the king, the cupbearer had to take the cup and try whatever it was that the king was going to drink. Now, you might say, well, that's not such a bad job. I mean, if it tastes a little tart or a little sour, you know, he'll just tell the king, well, don't drink that because it's a little tart or sour. But that's not the reason. The king wasn't worried about tart or sour. You know what the king was worried about was poison. Huh? Come on, drink this. Okay, good. It's good for me. Wait, hold on. Let me. Okay, he's still, he's still. That was Nehemiah's job. Talk about, now do that job with passion. Let me try two more, just in case. (laughs) This was Nehemiah's job. Nehemiah went to the king one day because he was downhearted, because his people were in captivity. And not only that, where he was from was decimated, okay? And he just, it just bothered him that his heritage was knocked down. The wall was knocked down. So he went to the king and he asked the king, he said, king, Long live the king. Would it be okay with you if I took a few men and we went and built the wall back in Jerusalem? And the king said, well, how long are you going to be? So he told him, he said, well, you know, I'll give you a time frame. uh, But, you know, long live the king. And the king, you know, you got to give homage to the king. And uh, the king said, all right, tell you what, I'll let you, I'll let you do that. Nehemiah told the king in in Nehemiah chapter 2, he said, You see the distress that we are in. And then he looked and he told all the people. He said, look at how Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Here's the thing about it. Nehemiah, he's a cupbearer, okay? Your job is to taste the drink and don't die. That's just your job. Your job is not to go to the king and give him any advice, ask him any questions, be in his presence for any elongated period of time. Your job is to drink from the cup and not to die. That's all you got to do, okay? But 
Because if you come into the presence of the king and start asking questions, you just might get beheaded. I mean, this is the time that he lived in, and I'm serious. This is the time that he lived in. But he was bold enough because he loved his country and his people so much that he, I'm sure he said in his heart, if I'm beheaded, I'm beheaded. But I got to go before the king for this thing. And the people, when he came to them and said, come, let us build the wall that we may no longer be a reproach. They, they had this in their mind. Man, this guy went before the king and the king told him to go ahead. And I told them, he said, the hand of my God has been good upon me, Nehemiah said. And also the king's words that he has spoken to me have been good to me. Guess what? They saw that he was so fired up and so passionate about this thing. They said, let us rise up and build. And they set their hands to this good work because one man was passionate. And not only was he passionate with his words, he was passionate with his deeds. He went before the king risked getting killed because of his passion how could everyone else not say listen we're going to follow this man let us go and build passion is contagious courage is contagious billy graham said when a brave man takes a stand the spines of others are often stiffened when one brave man takes a stand all of a sudden others start to become brave it's contagious be passionate. Don't look around and say, boy, I sure wish, you know, somebody would do something here. But as long as they're not doing anything, I guess I won't do anything. You be the one. You be the one. Stand up. Stand out. Go for it. It'll be contagious. And lastly, somebody say, thank God. Lastly. Lastly, when I am passionate, I can overcome obstacles. I, you know, passion will make up for a lot of defects in your life. 1 John 5, 4 says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. It is our faith. It is our faith. The truth is very few people succeed in life without some sort of passion. Passion is what pushes you through the down and difficult times. It is this passion that ultimately leads to your success. I came across a story, and I'll end with this story came across a story of a young lady. Her name is Piper Otterbein. And uh, as a senior at Cape Elizabeth High School, Piper, uh, you know, accomplished many things despite uh, being told that she couldn't do it. When she was in first grade, she was diagnosed with a learning disability. While Piper struggled throughout elementary, it was not until the seventh grade that finally her disability was identified as severe dyslexia. Severe dyslexia, okay? Piper and her family spent a great deal of time and resources trying to fix her dyslexia. During her middle school years, they tried all of this stuff. She spent countless hours after school in tutoring programs. And although she was determined to be a success in school, work took a long time to complete. She frequently found herself frustrated and exhausted. She would write four or five sentences down on a sticky note. In fact, she wanted to go to college. And so she had to write down an essay to get into college. So what she would have to do, <coughs> she would write down four or five sentences on a sticky note. And then she would kind of read it over. And then she, any word that looked like it wasn't spelled correctly, she would Google search it. 
And then when it would come back, she would then realize, oh, that's not spelled correctly. So then she would have to write it all over again. And then she would have to do the same thing again over and over. And then finally, she had what she felt like was all the, the, the correct, correctly spelled words and the sentence was formed correctly. And she finally put that down. Now, that wasn't her essay. That was four or five sentences. For every four sentences, she had to do this. Piper struggled. But when she entered high school, she had a revelation. Rather than focusing all of her energy on the challenges in her life, she decided to alter her outlook and focus instead of on her uh, disability to focus her strength on all of her strengths. While she remained a conscientious student, Piper threw herself into what she loved most, the arts, event organizing, community involvement. In her senior year of high school, she developed a strong presence in her school community. She juggled painting, ceramics, and drawing with her involvement in student council and many other activities, as, uh, along with her part-time job she was working, which was in a furniture store, and also babysitting. All of Piper's talent and hard work paid off. True story. Last fall, she began attending Savannah College of Art and Design, where she studied interior design and accessory design. You see, she was able to get, not only was she able to get into college, but for what she's doing, her field, she was able to get into one of the top colleges for that field. Because her, she changed her focus from my dyslexia to my strengths. And then she threw herself into it. You see, she found what she loved to do, and then she strengthened what she enjoyed. She decided, I'm going to stop feeling sorry for myself, and I'm going to throw myself into this thing. I don't care what people say. I still may write a word or two that looks funny to somebody else. I'll just laugh it off and write it over and keep on going. Passion is a powerful ally, folks. Passion for anything can move you forward toward your goal. But here is the bottom line. What you have to have is a deep passion for the presence of God. God told Abraham, don't be afraid. I'm your great reward. Where else are you going to go? 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance of every good work. Folks, where else are you going to go? You know, Peter had that revelation. When, when Jesus looked around, when he, he, he made some bold statements in, in the book of John, my favorite book of the Bible. He made some bold statements when he said, listen, you're going to have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. That, you know, that's, that's, that's some bold statements. You know, to, and especially we understand what that means because we have the ability to look back and reflect, right? In Revelation at the time, they didn't. What, does, what are you saying? And so people began to leave him. And he looked around at his 12. And he said, will you leave me too? And Peter looked around and said, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? You have the words of life. And so that's what I ask you this morning. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Go to the bank and get a loan? How long is that going to? You got to pay it back. What else are you going to do? Where else are you going to go? God has everything in his hands. In his presence is the fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures evermore. Where else are you going to go? If somebody has a better way or somewhere else to go that is better than the presence of God, please let me know because I'd like to go there. 
But until somebody tells me that, I am making the decision this morning to give everything that I have to press toward the presence of God. Because everything is there. Stand to your feet this morning. It's like the, uh, in the story of the prodigal son. Everybody focuses on the prodigal son. But really, to me, that story is about the older son, isn't it? He had everything in the presence of his father. Where else are you going to go? Why are you jealous of your brother? You want to be like him? He lost everything, including his inheritance. He came back. He got a robe. He got a ring. But he lost his inheritance. See, people don't, don't, don't really see that in this story. He never got another inheritance. He lost it. You want to be like your brother? You are here. You have everything. God is saying to us this morning, you are here in my presence. Where else are you going to go? Have some passion. Do what I'm asking you to do. Throw yourself into it. And that includes every area of your life. All we need to do is prioritize. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. All these things. And do them all with passion. You go to work tomorrow, do it with passion. You cooking breakfast in the morning, do it with passion. Come on. Do it with passion. God is imploring us this morning to throw ourselves in the deep until it's over our head, folks. Till it's over our head.